Our second lesson from the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 10, this reading begins at verse 19. Therefore, my friends, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us approach with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. I've got nine sermons left after today. We are keeping faithfully uh, in step with the senior pastor succession plan that our congregation joyfully and overwhelmingly approved by a 92% majority, having preached almost all the sermons for so long, In this last and final year of my service as senior pastor, uh, Jerry is preaching about 75% of the time, and I'm preaching 25% of the time. That's about once a month. So during these uh, last sermons, after today, down to single digits, that's really hard for me to believe, uh, I'm focusing on some really significant, basic, eternal truths, uh, things that are important for all of us to remember and to know in our life together as a Christian community. In January, I preached on the nature of the church, which is not just an institution uh, organized by human beings, as some would think. It is the bride of Christ. It is a living church for which Jesus died, and Christ loves his church, both the church militant on earth, the church triumphant in heaven. There is one church. There is one church. Jesus died for his one church, his one people, and he's promised that not even the gates of Hades can prevail against his people. Uh, Last month we looked at holy baptism, which some Christians unfortunately think of as just, you know, some ritual, some little sprinkling of water, uh, an ordinance. But if you look at scripture, you hear that it is serious business being baptized into the death and resurrection of Jesus, because in baptism you and I are joined to Christ Um, We are joined to his sacrifice. We are joined to his resurrection. We are given new life. So baptism is our identity. And we are reminded to, uh, to claim that identity, to remember our baptism every morning when we, you know, have this... This uh, little resurrection rising from our sleep, from the darkness of night, to live once again in the light of the Lord. You know, every day is a dress rehearsal for that great getting up morning when the dead shall be raised, never to die again, never to be separated from those they love, to see our Savior face to face. Uh, This month I'm preaching on um, worship. Our readings from Psalm 100 and Hebrews 10 teach us, remind us what true worship is and at the same time what worship is not and what it should never be. And as we meditate on worship this morning, I want each of you to do something that is going to be peculiar, unique to your life experience. It won't be the same 
um, not even necessarily for the person you know, you know best seated near you. I want you to think about, I want you to remember with your mind's eye, go down memory lane to your first experiences of Christian worship and what that was like, where that took place. You know, for some of our members, uh, those memories go back, you know, 50, 60, 70 years. Um, For some of our brothers and sisters, the memories are grounded here. Their only experience of Christian worship has been the way we worship at faith. And for even more who've been led to Christ during this pandemic, uh, their only experience of Christian worship is um, watching in their home on a flat screen. So whether your memories are decades ago or more recent, you know, you think about Faith Lutheran, and in our congregation was founded in 1955 and so many people worshipped in other sanctuaries in this city and in other places around the country before they started worshipping here so think about those those worship experiences and what stands out you know as you as you think about those times in a in a house of worship those experiences which you know for many of us became kind of normative can vary from one individual to another, right? But what's normative for you, what is the way you remember Christian worship as a new believer, uh, as a child, um, might be very different than the memories and the experiences of others. I want to share with you really quickly this morning um, that which was normative for me and how I came to learn and understand that what was normative for me certainly was not normative for others. So as most of you know, I was raised in a military family. My dad was a career army officer. When he wasn't in Korea or Vietnam, we went with him to his different duty station stateside, living on post, and we worshiped at the post chapel. The Jewish families uh, worshiped on Friday night and Saturday morning. The Roman Catholic Christians had mass in the same chapel, Sunday, usually at 0800 hours. And the Protestants would come in and take that same space later in the morning. My dad was raised Baptist, my mom Presbyterian, so we fit the description of general Protestant chapel goers. And that was my world. I wasn't a Roman Catholic Christian, we weren't Jewish, so we worshiped with Protestants. And um, it was almost the same every week. And uh, we didn't have to wonder what worship was going to be like because we used the old armed forces service book and hymnal. The order of worship was in the front, the songs were in the back, and that's the way it was every Sunday. And no one complained. I mean, we were military families. We were used to uniforms and uniformity. Um, we weren't like civilians. We didn't think that, you know, we demand variety. We want a choice. I mean, we were, we were army. <laughs> you know, you do worship the way you do worship. And the way we did it um, was good. I mean, I remember as a child, you know, the Protestant chapel being filled with men, women, and children. We were singing those hymns in four-part harmony. We were singing boisterously and joyfully. But, you know, we, we did that joyfully with, you know, kind of military bearing. There was nobody doing this or this. There was no hand clapping. And I remember very well, as soon as you entered the chapel, Hush your mouth. Be quiet. You're entering the presence of a holy God. You sit and you meditate. And the organist would help with, you know, some soft music. And then we'd go into our service. That was good. I heard 
great sermons that I remember to this day from those Protestant chaplains. That was my world. You remember your world. Then one of my friends, a civilian who lived off post, we went to the same high school, invited me to go to his church. It was different because it was civilian and it was Pentecostal. On the way in, this big woman gave me a big hug and handed me a big tambourine. And other people I noticed were carrying tambourines into the sanctuary with them. They brought them from home. And my, oh my, people were talking and laughing and hugging and walking all around and greeting one another. I had dozens of people come over and greet me and give me a hug. I had a few, you know, welcome to church, sonny boy, and they pinched me on my cheek. They, so glad you're here. And uh, once the service started, I, I'd never seen anything like it. You know, when people were singing, some were dancing in the aisle, some were dancing up front, everybody's playing the tambourine and you know, the only person I'd seen play a tambourine was uh, Davy Jones of the Monkees. You know, so I think I was doing my best Davy Jones. And anyway, if you're too old, look it up on YouTube. Um, and, and when the pastor was preaching, um, he wasn't the only one talking. Uh, people in the congregation were talking as well. He's preaching a sermon that went over an hour. And while he's preaching, I heard a chorus of, well, 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 well. Preach it, brother, preach it. Hallelujah, Jesus. Amen and amen. Well, well, well. That service lasted um, three hours. My parents were really worried. They thought I'd go off post, worship, and be home, you know, with a 60-minute service, but three hours. And then as I'm leaving, my friend says, um, well, you're going to come back for the rest of the worship, aren't you? And I'm like, we're not done? He goes, yeah, we come back at night, 7 o'clock. Everybody goes home, you know, eat your Sunday dinner, have a nap, eat early supper, you come back at 7. I said, and how long does that service last? He goes, oh, it's really short. We're usually done in like two hours. So like five hours, right? My world was rocked. And I returned the favor and invited my friend to experience worship at the Protestant chapel on post. And I, I, I warned him, I said, it's probably not a good idea to be shouting amen during the sermon. And he sang the hymns just as joyfully as I saw him singing the hymns in his church previously. And every now and again, you know, he did a few hand waves as he was singing. People stared, Right? And at the end of the service, you know, he said, well, that, that was different. He said, I really like the sermon. But then he said, I just got one question, Bruce. Why, why do you people quit worshiping God so soon when you're just getting warmed up? He was blown away that we were in and out in less than 60 minutes, right? So worship, what, what worship is in terms of a normative experience is very different for people. And I learned um, a really important lesson that day that people who love Jesus, uh, people who praise the same God, people who serve the same Lord, can do so in ways that are very different. Um, we have a way, don't we, of worshiping God here at Faith. And um, we have four services every weekend, and each of these services are a little bit different 
than the other. I've had people tell me, you know, I will go to this service and never that service, and here's why. But when you look at the essence of worship here at Faith, it's the same sermon, the same lessons, the same prayers. Um, What's different are some of those other features, like, you know, is it a band, is it a piano, is it an organ? Are we using historic liturgy? But they're all faithful ways of worshiping the same God. And something I'd like you to refrain from ever saying is, well, I don't like that worship style. Because to me, no styles are human things, and they come and go. I mean, I haven't seen too many men worshiping in a plaid leisure suit in a long time. Thank you, Lord. You know, I haven't seen too many women like my mom back in the 60s, you know, with the beehive. Styles change. They'll keep changing. But the substance of worship is changeless. It's all about coming into the presence of a holy God. And those things we do in the presence of a holy God can have great variety and faithfulness to the same, to the same Lord we all serve. Worship, Christian worship, Christ-centered worship, always has the same substance. And we learn of that substance in both Psalm 100 and Hebrews 10. True worship is done with joy and gladness. We come into the Lord's presence joyfully, gladly. And it's about rendering to God the praise and thanksgiving of which he is worthy. We give thanks. We praise the Lord because we serve a great God, the living God, the true God. And we come into his presence with thanksgiving because we know over and over that his steadfast love for sinners like you and sinners like me endures forever. Prodigal sons and daughters are always welcomed home in the Lord's presence. Here we are equipped and empowered and renewed after, you know, the, the sinful world has had its way with us. And sometimes we come here, you know, feeling bruised and battered and broken, but we can come even so into the presence of the Lord joyfully because we know we serve God. And it's God who will have the final word when human history is finally over, all said and done. We know who God is. We know how the story ends. So with these definitions of worship, It also means that worship is not about a product that is produced and presented to please you. Worship is not about your personal tastes. Worship is about pleasing God, honoring God, praising God, serving God. You are not the audience during worship while the band or the pastor perform for your pleasure, displeasure, approval, disapproval. In Christian worship, there is an audience to be sure. It's an audience of one. It's a holy audience. It is the Lord. It's God who is watching us not perform, but render to him the praise and worship and adoration that he deserves. Go back with me to this last fall. Pastor Mark Behenna and his wife Jessica had finally arrived coming from his previous congregation in Kodiak to serve on our team as associate pastor here 
at faith. It was one of his first, it may have been his first weekend of worship, and I, I think I saw Pastor Mark in all the services that day. He wanted to experience them all. And at the end of my sermon, at this 11 o'clock service, there was... And I watched his head just snapping. I thought I came to a Lutheran church, you know. And I had to explain to Mark after the service, that's not normative. <laughs> that's happened like three times since I've been here, going back to 1998. So don't be looking for applause when you preach. It rarely happens. But I got to tell you, that day that it did happen, I think it was October, felt kind of nice. I mean, it's better than booing and hissing, right? You weren't looking to tar me and feather me in the parking lot. So I went home, you know, with a little spring in my step. I got a little bit of applause after my sermon at 11 o'clock. I had been home 30 minutes, and I received the most uh, negative, toxic, scathing email I'd ever received in my whole life as a pastor. Someone watching in Colorado who said, you shouldn't even call yourself a pastor. That was the worst sermon I've ever heard. Shame on you. Shut up. <laughs> and I was reminded that day that as nice as it is to hear acclamation, it's really about pleasing God when I preach, right? Preaching his word. And that which is true for the pastor is true for all the baptized ministers. We're not always going to get applause for what we do as Christians. Sometimes we will be ridiculed and rejected. But it's all about faithfulness. Even when no one's watching. And even when people think you're, you're foolish because we're supposed to be fools for Christ, right? As we enter this house of the Lord not to be entertained but to worship God. We're told in Hebrews that we are to encourage one another. Well, I think all of us can say, yep, yeah, amen. I don't come here to be discouraged. I come here seeking encouragement in my life, in my marriage, in my relationship, in my work, in my place in the world that can be so challenging and disappointing. So yeah, we can encourage one another. But then we hear this word provoke. And I don't know about you, but when I use that word, it typically has a negative connotation. When, when you incite someone to anger, you know, people say, hey, watch it. Hey, back off. Don't, don't provoke me. But that word has a secondary meaning, which means to call forth, to stir up, to provide a needed kind of stimulation, a stimulus to get something that's lacking. So we are to have this kind of provocation to provoke one another in a deeper love for Jesus and a sweeter love for one another. That doesn't mean like. You know, my wife loves me, but she doesn't like everything about me, right? You don't have to like everything about every person at church, but we're called to love each other. And that's different, isn't it? That's agape love. Jesus doesn't like everything we do, but he loves us, and he proved it by dying on a cross. And we're to be a community where that kind of love is provoked so that we can receive the encouragement that love produces and then take it into the world where so many people are lost and depressed and desperate. 
Jerry Watts is doing a beautiful thing um, during this COVID pandemic. Um, he's leading the staff meetings and our church council meetings with some devotions as different members of the staff and council can share a personal testimony and we dig deeper into our, our core values and our, our primary teachings as a Christian community. And because of the witness, um, you know, this last week of um, Jerry and Kaya uh, on Tuesday night, I shared a story. Um, I'll give you the, the short version. Um, it was back around the time we were building the 17,000 additional square feet and renovated space for the youth area and for our school that was busting at the seams, Children of Faith. Uh, in those days, Kirsten and I um, realized that uh, we were growing uh, more apart than together with our busy schedules and taking care of four daughters, and we, we started date night. I told people thousands of times, you, you two, you, you need to have date night. You know, you need to spend quality time together. And I wasn't doing it myself. So Kirsten and I had date night in a pool hall that has since, you know, been burned to the ground. Somebody said there was an arsonist. But we went there to shoot pool and listen to live music, blues. It was awesome. And um, the same server always looked for us and, and served us, waited on us. We did that on Thursday nights. And after a while, uh, Kirsten and I decided we needed to invite her to worship. And so we said, hey, you know, don't know if you've ever gone to church before, but we go to a really great church here in town. It's uh, Faith Lutheran. Oh, she just lit up. Lutheran? I'm Lutheran. I was baptized Lutheran up in Colorado. I said, well, then, easy peasy, you know, come on. She goes, I'm not so sure about that. And then she started talking about all the ways that she had made a royal mess of her life, all the bad choices, and a string of, of tragedies that led her to living in Albuquerque. And she said, I, I don't think so. I, going to church would just make me feel worse. We said, I think you'd feel welcome. Kirsten encouraged her. You'd be welcome because there's a lot of people who've made mess of things and you'd be welcome to worship with sinners like us. Worshiping a God who died for sinners like us so we can know his grace and mercy. And she goes, I don't know, if I came in, I think your ceiling would come crashing down. I said, come on, you can do it. Come to worship. I don't know. It's been a long time. What's the pastor like? You know, that was fun. Well, he shoots pool and drinks beer and, you know, all things, right, in moderation. Anyway, she came. Structure still sound. She wept her first time in worship. She hadn't been to the Lord's table in a long time. And the reason I mentioned it was going on about the same time we were doing the construction project is that because of her bad choices, she had lost her job working for a commercial contractor. That's why she was serving at that pool hall. And, you know, God made all the connections. I was able to introduce her to the supervisor. One thing led to another. She got a job working with them on a, a project, and then she did so well, she was able to get an even better job. And uh, she returned home to be reconciled with her family in Colorado holding her head a little higher, not in self-pride, 
But having experienced love and healing and forgiveness and renewal in this house of the Lord, do not ever underestimate what God does and can do among his people when our hearts are fixed on him, when we're promised two or more show up in my name, Jesus shows up. And when Jesus shows up, things happen. And they happen in a beautiful way for her right here in this sanctuary that's so normative for all of us. For her, it was extraordinary. But her idea, her fear that she wouldn't be welcomed, that church is only for people who haven't made mistakes, that she would come and experience judgment. Her idea is out there. And we need to do our part in proving that it is an ugly lie. It's a lie. Twelve months and counting that we've had to worship in different ways since these COVID health orders went into place a year ago. Social distancing, masks on our face, no shaking hands with neighbors, sealed, prepackaged communion containers. And for the overwhelming majority of our members staying at home to watch worship on a flat screen instead of showing up here in the sanctuary, it has been a long, strange trip. Surreal. We've done our best. We have continued worshiping God without ceasing. We will do that, worshiping of a holy God until Jesus comes again in glory. But as you think about worship in this meditation, as you participate in worship week in and week out, remember this. Please remember this. We who sit in the Lutheran section of the big, beautiful, diverse church choir. We have never believed or insisted that Christian worship be monochromatic. In fact, our very Lutheran doctrine insists that there is evangelical freedom when it comes to worshiping God. This from Article 7 of the Augsburg Confession. Listen, it is sufficient in Latin that status est. It is sufficient, status est, for the true unity of the church that the gospel be preached and the sacraments be administered according to the gospel. It is not necessary that human traditions and rites and ceremonies instituted by men be everywhere alike. For as St. Paul teaches, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all. Our normative doctrinal statement tells us that there's freedom. There's latitude when it comes to how we worship. And it's not about style. So, guess what? We could hand out tambourines next Sunday. <laughs> we could. We could worship for three hours. I could preach for an hour my last nine sermons. We could, but for some strange reason, I don't think we will anytime soon. That would be problematic for too many people. For some, it would be the tambourine. 
And for others, you know, three hours would be a deal breaker. So we worship the way we worship. But let's make sure when we worship, we really worship. Let's make sure we're not buying into the counterfeit culture where Christian worship has somehow become entertainment, where people sit as passive members of an audience watching some um, rock star preacher perform. I ain't no rock star. Jerry and Mark and I aren't entertainers. Make sure when you worship, you worship, and you remember the audience. God is watching. God is here to receive our sacrifice of praise. What do you offer the Lord when you enter his presence in worship? What does God deserve from you when you come into the sanctuary? What do you present? What do you give to God in response to everything that he has so beautifully, graciously, sacrificially, and lavishly showered upon you? May the peace that surpasses human understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord today and until we see the Savior face to face. Amen.